You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Can you make this quick? I got a meeting. That's just snake oil. Joel That's Klatt, not right. lead college football analyst for Fox Sports, joins us for his uh, weekly visit. He's presented by Audi Flatirons. And Joel, I don't know how much of that you just picked up, but the other day... Vic Fangio said that yards per carry was kind of a uh, overrated, hollow, meaningless stat. Do you agree with him? When when head coaches at any level display, I mean, for lack of a better term, a stupidity that like is is alarming when it comes to a basic understanding of a statistical analysis of football. It's it's alarming. I. I, I mean, you you cannot, by any metric in how you watch, evaluate the run game, you cannot evaluate what Denver did on the ground and say it wasn't good enough and we have to abandon it. There's a, at no point. And by the way, people could say, like, well, the game was out of hand. No, it wasn't. That's a 10-point game at the start of the fourth quarter. So, in, in my estimation, this team has a blueprint and has – a formula of winning, and they didn't even try it. Like, I, to me, the game, whether it was the plan or the actual execution in terms of what you called from a play-calling perspective on Sunday, wasn't it. Wasn't it. You're not going to win that game. Why? Because you didn't give the, the players the best chance to win the game. I thought that the run game was successful enough. Let me give you just a quick example of this. The game I did last week was Michigan-Wisconsin. Wisconsin's the number one rush defense in the country coming into last week. Michigan was a top five rushing offense. And yet you had this sense, and even Michigan had a sense, that you know, we're, we're not going to be able to dominate on the run game. But you know what they did know? They knew that they had an identity, that they had a blueprint, a fingerprint, if you will, of how they needed to operate in order to find success. What they needed to do for their quarterback was never going to just sit there and drop back 50 times and win the game or 37 times and win the game. And so what they did is they committed to their identity, to the plan that gives them the best possible chance for success. So did they run it? Great. No. But they ran it over 40 times. And what you found was in the big moments, the little play action passes were effective enough to put uh, defenders in conflict at the second and third level in order to make plays, move the chains, they got a touchdown out of one on a flea flicker because the safety had to bite. Why? Because Wisconsin had to commit to stopping the run. Why did they have to do that? It wasn't because Michigan was running all over them. It was because Michigan committed to the run game. So where was that commitment from Denver when they knew that that's the blueprint, the fingerprint that they need to use in order to find success on any given week, in particular against the Ravens? You're going to... You're not going to beat the Ravens if you give them more time of possession with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to allow those you, – you're not going to have success in the passing game alone with those two players at quarterback if you don't at least have the threat of the run. And to say that it wasn't successful based on yards per carry, which is a precarious stat, is just false. It's, it's false. You can't evaluate what they did. You can evaluate it by – percentage of yardage needed on on first or second down, like kind of about 40%, 60% the conversion, right? You can evaluate it that way. You can evaluate it any any way you want, 
and you can say that the run game was successful. And in, in the new age of football, I think that the run game doesn't even really need four yards. That's like a, a great run. You really just need three to put yourself in second and medium and, and give yourself a two-way go or, or the entire playbook at your disposal for second and seven, which is not necessarily an obvious passing down because another three-yard run puts you at third and three, which is a convertible situation. So I was – I got to tell you, like I watched the game and it was, it was frustrating, but then – you hear the comments, and it's more frustrating. Ugh. Right. No, I'm I'm 100%. Scary. I, I'm sorry, but I like no. you know what I'm saying, Stink? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, absolutely. Here's here's the other question I have for you. I understand kind of the principles, you know, of, of protection, right? And I understand there's kind of two trains of thought. I get, hey, let's get five guys out. Let's go 5-0. It makes it easy if we spread for the uh, the quarterback or easier for the quarterback. And I want your opinion on this to identify like where we're going. Like if we have to re-identify the mic, we're, we're essentially taking less bodies. We've got less bodies in the box, right? So I understand that aspect of it. But when people are walking up and they're bringing blitzes from other places and they're walking up linebackers and your guys can't hold up up front, then like to me, at some point we have to condense formations. We get have to get into heavier formations. You know, multiple tight ends, multiple backs, and now we have to. You know, now we have to. You know, have those kind of seven man, six man protections. At least we have to have some variety. I look at third downs, sixteen of them, two on penalty. They were three of fourteen. They had third down and seven plus eleven times. And Joel. Out of, and and out of that was almost entirely out of eleven personnel, three by one, kind of spread formations. At some point, if you can't block them, um, in protection, don't you have to change what you're doing? It, it, that you like, take me through from a quarterback's perspective. What would you like to see? Oh gosh, <clears throat> that's a great question. So, the worse my offensive line was, the less of them I wanted in front of me. Mm-hmm. I, does that make sense? Like the, make, the, yeah. the more I didn't trust their ability to block, the more I wanted the control to protect myself in my hands, not theirs. So I wanted everybody out. I wanted five options quickly to throw the football. Um, I think that that's probably most quarterbacks, but not everybody is great in that environment. I think Teddy thrives in that environment because he really understands it. But I think what, what, this question is, is, is also can be attached to the, the first question that we came in kind of answering, which is when you force yourself into obvious downs, you force yourself into a situation where you're having to see extremely exotic things on the defensive side. Everybody's standing up. Who, who is the mic? Who are you identifying as the down four when there's nobody with their hand in the ground? If there's one person with their hand in the ground. So where are we sliding? Do we have to full gap slide? Which you can't really do in a, in a five-man protection because you don't have any way to protect the edge that you're sliding away from. Normally, if you're in a full, full gap slide, you have at least one of the releases, if you will, that is chipping or, or rubbing off of that that the side that you're sliding away from. I mean, it's. It, I think it's difficult, Mark. I, I will tell you, I would rather be in a in a five men out style of passing game. But when you have to do, 
when you've got to get to the seven yard mark or eight yard mark, what you have is a situation where aggressive defense from the defensive backs can take away your quick throws. And then what you're doing is, and this is where Baltimore does a really good job of this. They get exotic up front. It's hard to identify what they're doing or who's coming. Who's the mic? Where are you sliding? Who's got who? And then you're forcing the quarterback to hold the ball for an extra beat or two because of the aggressive nature of the defensive back technique taking away the easy throw. So what you do is you force the quarterback into a hot or side adjust mode, and you're taking away those side adjusts and those hots with really aggressive um, uh, defensive back technique. You can only do that if the opposition is completely one-dimensional and they don't have any firepower to try to hit you over the top with a quick fade or something along those lines, which I don't think Denver had the ability to based on the injuries that they're having on the outside. So let's go go back to the, the original premise of this is that I don't know if there is a good plan in protection when you make yourself one dimensional. I think that's, I think that's fair. I, I, I think it's completely fair. And, um, I, I appreciate the explanation because, you know, I've thought that before on, I, I used to be an all seven man protection, six man protection. Um, but I understand the value of getting guys out. But, yeah, I think it's a, an excellent explanation. Mike, go ahead. Visit with Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatiron. So, Joel, what would your message be to the folks out there who say, see, the performance against the Ravens prove that the first three weeks were nothing but fool's gold? No, I don't think I don't think that. I, I think it's disappointing, there's no doubt. And, and I think that they were the beneficiary of a, a very weak schedule in the first three, and they did to those teams what they needed to do. I would say that for the first time this season, and I don't necessarily think it was Baltimore's doing, Denver Denver didn't play the style of game which they have to play in order to have success. See, I don't think Denver is one of the best teams in the league that can go out there and win a game in several different modes. I don't think they're going to go out there and outscore you. So when you take them out of their game plan, when you take them out of the blueprint, then they're going to struggle at times. But I don't necessarily think it was just Baltimore taking them outside of that blueprint. That's the frustrating part for me as a fan is that I thought that that was more coaching decisions and play-calling decisions during the course of the game. They've got to do a much better job of protecting the defense. You do that by letting them be on the sidelines, obviously. You know, you stay on the field, and you do that by making sure you're doing the things on first and second down that give you the opportunity to convert on third down, not just from a yardage perspective, but also from what I would call a, a a width of the playbook perspective. You know, we're talking about here like, well, what do you do on third and obvious, and how do you protect it? Well, it's really difficult. It's very difficult. So what what's the best way to protect on third and obvious? Don't be in third and obvious. You know, be in third and medium. Be in third and short, where you can at least have those big formations in there and give some threat of the play action, give some threat of the quarterback outside of the pocket, give some threat where you can have some movement, whether it's crossing routes or a flat route that can get the ball right away, and you're not just sitting there static in some sort of spread set trying to convert a third and obvious. So those that say, like, look, this is the Denver team that we expected, well, I I would say no. I think that the coaching staff put the players in a really poor position to have success on Sunday because they got themselves outside of their blueprint based on no – effort or or cause from the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, now you're going to face the Pittsburgh team that uh, 
frankly, defensively, plays a lot like Baltimore. I mean, they will walk up guys. They will bring guys off the edge. They, like, they're usually, and I was telling Mike this, it's like uh, the Wizard of Oz. You walk up a guy on the inside, what's coming on the outside, right? Like, you're you're trying to... You're trying to affect protection. You're trying to get those slides. You're trying to get those soft edges, those corners for the the rushers. And they're going to do a lot of the same stuff. So you better change, you know, philosophically how you approach this game. And Pittsburgh is no, I mean, they're no easy opponent on the defensive side, Joel. No, not on, not on the defensive side. I think you're exactly right. But one thing you know is that if, if you're in a position where you could still run it, so let's call it just like third and three and a half, three and three quarters, maybe even four. You legitimately can still hand the football off. And so if you do throw some extra gaps out there for them to defend, what they can't do is just stand up and make life hard on you. Because now you're forcing them into a situation where they at least have to be gap sound and I think that that's way more difficult if you're trying to walk around and create confusion on the offensive side. So, you know, for me, the, the first and second down game plan becomes very important, how they're getting to that, um, and the style of throws that they're making on first and second down. I'm not saying that you have to just run your head against the wall on first and second down, but I am saying that you better be creative enough where you can utilize the run, utilize the play action, Utilize the short passing game. Utilize the the, the boots and the, the run pass options in terms of getting the quarterback outside of the pocket in order to get yourself into a third down situation where you're taking that away from them. The ability to confuse you, the ability to stand up, bring whoever they want, run guys around, you know, in some sort of magic show. You get take the early flight home from San Diego and all of a sudden it's a magic show going on on the other side and you don't even know what's going on. Hey, can Drew Lock ever figure it out? I mean, this is like the age-old question. I, I mean, isn't it abundantly clear that that Teddy is the best option for for Denver? Yeah, oh, no, right? that's, not, mean, like, but that's not my question. My question is, right. do you ever see Drew being able to figure it out? Uh, at this point, it it it. It doesn't seem like it's going to turn the corner. It it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. It doesn't seem like this guy is going to come in and and all of a sudden change his stripes. Um, So, I I mean, as negative as this sounds, no, I just I I don't see it because I don't see the, the, the necessary growth. At this point, it would have to be like a light switch, like it's been dark for a long time. And it's like, well, I don't see any indication or reason why I should feel like it's just going to all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden, flip on. Yeah, Mike. My, I guess my question to to piggyback on that: Are uh, back shoulder fades supposed to be on the back shoulder to the sideline, or should they be in the uh, in the field of play on the front shoulder? Say say that again. I'm sorry. I said, are the back shoulder fades supposed to be on the back shoulder toward the sideline, or should you lead your receiver to the front shoulder where the DB can make a play on it? See, this is where I think Drew struggles, and and right. If you well, if you want to go back shoulder, then you got to go back shoulder. But the problem is, is that you've got to select the right pitch. See, as a quarterback, what what very rarely is talked about is the understanding and the decision of the quarterback in terms of what throw he wants to make, and and you you make that decision post snap based on defensive leverage and technique, and. 
see, because there are several different types of throws. You can drive the football. You can throw the football with touch. You can layer the football. You can change your arm angle. Like there's all. That's why I've always said playing the quarterback position is a lot more like playing shortstop in baseball than it is being a pitcher. A pitcher is sitting there trying to repeat his delivery as best that he possibly can to in order to have some level of consistency. The opportunity to put a repeat your delivery in, in football is not there as a quarterback. You've got to change your platform. You've got to change your angle, and you've got to decide on what type of throw you want to make. I think Drew really struggles post-snap reading the leverage and style of defense that he's seeing. So let's just take the fade, for example. Let's say you're, you're running a three-step fade. Well, there's only three possible leverages that you can have in the one-on-one, and you're not going to throw this unless it's a one-on-one. So you have to understand what a stacked defender looks like, what an even defender looks like, and what a chase defender looks like. If you can get a, a, a quick win from your wide receiver and it's a chase defender, then you've got to throw that ball out in front with touch and air so that the nose of the football turns over and you're giving yourself the best chance to, quote-unquote, throw it in the bucket. So you're leading them out there. That ball's got to be thrown inbounds. If, if that ball lands and hits the turf, it's got to hit inbounds. Now, if you've got an even defender or a, a stack defender, that's a defender that's winning the battle in the one-on-one on the outside. So you've got to change the math for your wide receiver. You do that by driving the football out. It cannot be the same style of throw. So this ball, if it landed, would land out of bounds because you're driving it. It would basically hit the top of the sticks if the sticks were out there, you know, at, at five, six, seven feet high. And you've got to drive the ball on the back shoulder of your defender. So you're basically throwing it directly at the back of his head. And now he can drop out of it and he can catch that fade. So you can't plan these throws. So you can't call, we're running the back shoulder fade in, in this snap, or we're going to run the down the field fade or go route on the next snap. That has got to be made, that decision, post-snap, based on the leverage and style of defense, and the quarterback's got to be able to read it. And I think that's one of the things that Drew struggles with the most. Uh, speaking of pitching, Rocky sign Antonio Sensatella, five years, $50 million. Uh, I know you miss your... Like it matters. I know, like it matters. I know you miss like your this, Rocky this organization. That organization is so bad. Hey, man. Wow. You're probably not where you're at right now if you didn't do that Rocky studio show. You owe them a debt. You owe them a debt of gratitude. The powers that be looked down and they said, whew, you shine to that turd about as best as you could. <laughs> you're clearly ready and for I the said, big leagues. <laughs> and I said, get your shine box. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Uh, you're the best, Joel. Thanks, buddy. No, 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 no. Pleasure's all on this side, folks. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. indeed. Joel Clatt, everybody, presented by Audi Flatirons. It's a good point. I'm sure the powers of at Fox watched him on that studio show and said, wow, that guy can polish a turd. Yeah. We need him. We need that turd polisher right there to <laughs> college football because you know you're going to be doing Ohio State and some scrub school where there's going to be a 50-point lead. And that guy's going to have to polish it. (laughs) Love Joel. All right. As always, a lot to unpack with Joel. We'll do that next. Denver Sports Station 104.3, The Fan.
Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 